Good morning. Good to see you all. My name is Ted. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. It's my pleasure to speak here on occasion. And so uh, we're in the midst of our study of Genesis. And this morning, we're going to cover five chapters. Genesis 27 through 31. I'm not going to read them all because that would take all of our time. But my goal is this, that in telling the story, it would pique your interest enough that you'd be really excited to go home today and read Genesis chapter 27 through 31. Because I believe, I'm sure you do, you do too, but I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to each of us individually. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, as you read God's word, can ignite your heart and your soul in a way that is uniquely possible with the working of the Holy Spirit for you. And so uh, your homework assignment uh, is to read Genesis uh, chapters 27 through 31 on your own in the next couple days or so. And so I need prayer this morning, so let's pray. Father, uh, dependence upon you is not an option, although many times I treat it as such, and I confess that. But in this moment, I do declare uh, that I need you, as the words of that song said. And uh, might we all just pause now and admit that to God, that we need him. We need you in our daily life. We need you in the crises that come our way. And we need you now in uh, the listening of the great narrative, the great story of the gospel, of you making a way for us to know you. Thank you that you know us fully and completely. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard a description of someone recently as being a spiritually self-dependent. Spiritually self-dependent. I'd like you to think just for a moment. How would you describe someone that is spiritually self-dependent? Spiritually self-dependent. Um, I guess the question can further be asked, can a person be both spiritual and self-dependent? Can a person be both spiritual and self-dependent? What is our spirituality built upon? Well, this morning as we continue our study in the book of Genesis, we are going to investigate the life of the third patriarch. Uh, Abraham was number one. His son Isaac was number two. And um, JJ spoke about Isaac last week. And the third is Jacob, who is the son of Isaac. So uh, Jacob was a person who deeply wanted to live a spiritual life of blessing, but he thought he had to manipulate and control 
the circumstances and relationships of his life in order to achieve it. That's really the life of Jacob. Uh, He was the poster boy of spiritual self-dependence. From the beginning, Jacob attempted and longed for his father Isaac's blessing. there were two sons that Isaac had, Esau and Jacob. And before Jacob was even born, it was declared by God that he would be the son of blessing. He was going to be the heir that would continue on the promises that God made to Abraham and God made to Isaac. But uh, there was a problem with Jacob's belief system. He could not believe that God could make him a blessing unless he did something about it. He he thought there had to be a catch. Uh, He reasoned that he had to do something in order to receive this blessing. See, uh, Jacob's problem, I don't think, was undervaluing uh, God's promise uh, he undervalued himself that how could God possibly use me? Have any of you had that such, such a thought as that? How could God possibly use me? He felt unworthy. And as a result, he spent his life trying to earn for himself what God wanted to give him as a gift. He was trying to be spiritually self-dependent. Now, what do we know about Jacob that helps us to understand his inner struggle? Well, as I already said, he had a brother. His brother, his name was Esau. Did any of you have a sibling you tried to live up to? I did. I had a brother. He's three years older than me. And uh, he was the star of the football team. He was a quarterback. I was a defensive end. I never got up to that level. He was the star scorer in basketball. And I was the sixth man coming off the bench. He was a valedictorian. And I was the co-valedictorian. I didn't quite get there. It's hard living in the shadow of another. And that's kind of how Jacob saw his life with his his brother Esau, because his father had a favorite. Isaac's favorite son was not Jacob, the son of blessing. It was Esau. And uh, that was a mistake of Isaac to play favorites. Because, uh, well, I think, Isaac just plain liked Esau better. Uh, Esau was this man of nature. He was a tough guy. He he loved to go out hunting. I'm sure uh, if you read the story further, you find that Isaac liked just how Esau was as being a man of action, a hunter, an adventurer. And Jacob, on the other hand, was better at cooking. Uh, Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. 
Esau was a strong man. And Isaac liked Esau. And the mother, do you know who she liked? She liked Jacob. She liked Jacob. But uh, she pushed him around most of his life. Uh, he had an interesting relationship with his mother. You need to read the story to get it. So there's your homework. Uh, even when Jacob was grown, his mother kind of kept telling him what to do and how to do it. And then Jacob had this uncle, Laban. We'll talk a little bit more about him later on. But he was one who manipulated and took advantage of Jacob. So in short, here's Jacob's life. Uh, we could say that he was tricked by his uncle. He was dominated by his mother. He was threatened by his brother. And he was rejected by his father. That was kind of Jacob. Tells you a little bit about his inner struggle. So by the time that Jacob reached adulthood, he really did not trust anyone. His attitude in life was, no one's going to take care of me. I have to take care of myself. Have any of you said that before? Yeah, that can be our attitude, can it? Uh, he was suspicious of people. He'd burnt, been burned too many times. Uh, he had to make his way in life himself. And it's interesting, his name Jacob. Do you know what the name Jacob means? It means deceiver. And that's kind of, kind of the story of how he approached life. So instead of waiting for uh, God to cause Isaac to bless him, he tricked his brother Esau and stole his blessing. The story's in chapter 37. You're going to want to read it. So Esau was very angry at Jacob of the deception, and he threatened to kill him. And so now we find the story of Jacob fleeing from his brother Esau to the land of Haran. So the state of Jacob's mind at this point uh, is that he had to choose between being spiritual or being self-dependent. He had to choose between uh, trusting in God and God's promise and God's desire to bless him, to love him, to show him approval and a purpose. Or the other choice was that he had to make his own way. And the way he would make his own way was through self-effort, through deception, through manipulation, manipulating people and circumstances. And it will take him 20 years to make this choice fully and completely in the right direction. 20 years. So let me read from uh, Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10 and going through the end of the chapter, verse 22. And you'll find it up on the screen. It says this, 
Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached uh, a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones that he, he, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in, in which he saw a stairway resting from earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then above it stood the Lord and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you when, whenever you go out, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was a friend and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than uh, the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, uh, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on my journey, I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that uh, I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Mm. So let's think about this a little bit. Jacob uh, was running away from his brother, from Haran, uh, away to Haran. He was alone. He was fearful. He was uncertain about the future. His brother's threats must have been rattling in his head. And here we have a beautiful picture of God showing up. God showing up and, and giving him promises, promise after promise after promise, uh, telling him, I will take care of you. I love you. What you need, I will take care of. And in this vision, Jacob was told uh, that God, the same thing he told God told his father and his uh, grandfather that the salvation story was going to go through him. And he was told his own descendants would be as numerous 
as the sand on the shore. And God said, I will be with you. He told him, I'm going everywhere you are going. He told him, you'll never lack a protector or a companion. You will never spend one day without me supplying all your needs. Therefore, you don't need to fear. Wherever you go, I will bring you back. You cannot fail. These were the words of God to Jacob, the promises of God to Jacob. So now we look more deeply into the inner turmoil of Jacob. God had made this announcement of love and approval, yet at that moment Jacob was on the run. He'd been hurt and he'd been rejected. He was trouble, having trouble in believing himself. He was in this wrestling match with what am I going to believe? What is true? Am I going to believe the voices of my past, the voice of my father, or am I going to believe the voice of God? So let's look at Jacob's response as we read in that passage. Uh, I think he had faith. He was really trying to believe as much as he could believe without uh, while having strings attached. He had faith with strings attached. Do you ever have faith with strings attached? I believe you, but. I believe you if. I will trust you with this condition. Uh, that's kind of the way that Jacob responded. He uh, said, well, first of all, what was Jacob really impressed by? Was he impressed by God? Well, I don't think he was that impressed with God as he was impressed with the place. The place that he had had this vision, this place he'd had this dream. He, he was saying, this is a holy place. Uh, and in fact, he went on to say, this is a holy pillow. This rock that I laid my head on, that's a pretty holy thing. I'm going to set it up as a, pill, a pillar and... Uh, I'm going to, this is, this is a great place. I'm going to return here sometime. If you read it, it looks like Jacob is more impressed with the pillow and the land than perhaps he was with God. Uh, another reason I say this is uh, he immediately bargains with God. Uh, he says, God, if you'll be with me, if you'll do all this for me, then I will believe in you. And then I will give you a tenth of what you give me. Uh, I'll take that 90% gladly and I'll give you a tenth back. And you think about his grandfather, Abraham. Abraham was willing to give him everything. He was willing to give him his son, his most cherished possession. And Jacob said, I will give you a bit and I will believe you after. So you see, there's quite a big difference between Jacob's faith and Abraham's faith. So time does not permit me to read the next two chapters because the next two chapters cover 20 years of Jacob's life in Haran. 
uh, he was alone, he needed a wife. And he met the love of his life at a well. Her name was Rachel. He falls deeply in love with her, and it turns out that his that Rachel was a daughter of uh, his uncle, Laban. Um, that was okay back then. Um, I'm from Utah. It's okay now. <laughs> not, not really. I'm just kidding. So uh, he moves in with his uncle, and he starts negotiating, trying to have Rachel as his wife, to have her hand in marriage. And Laban is also known as being a bit greedy and a bit manipulative. And uh, so they negotiated and they came to the place where the cost of uh, this bride, Rachel, was going to be seven years of labor, seven years of service. So the bargain was struck. And so uh, Jacob worked for Laban as a, a sheep herder, doing whatever was needed for seven years, but I, you know when you're in love, time flies. And I bet those seven years just flew by because uh, no cost would be too great to, to have Rachel as his wife. Things were going to be great. The wedding night finally came. In the midst of the wedding ceremony, it came to the time for the bride and the groom to go to the tent. And... Uh, in the morning, Jacob, Jacob discovers that uh, the woman next to him was not Rachel, but it was her older sister, Leah. Now, don't ask me how that happened. <laughs> I think alcohol was involved. Uh, so Jacob comes out, approaches Laban and said, what, what's this? And Laban said, let me, let me explain this to you. And in our culture, the older sister always marries before the younger sister. Uh, so instead of Jacob spending the night with a woman of his dreams, he spends it with her sister Leah. Well, uh, with a little bit more negotiation, Laban said, okay, I'll let you have Rachel now, but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you another seven years. But here's the deal. You don't have to wait for another seven years. I'll let you marry her a week later, but then you're still going to have to uh, work for me for seven more years. So, so that was the deal. And uh, can you imagine the dysfunction of this new family? Well, anything you could imagine became a reality. There was, read chapters 29 and 30, and you'll learn all about this. Aren't you excited to go home and read the Bible? Yeah. yeah. Chapters 29 and 30 will tell you all about this story. So uh, there became a great rivalry between Rachel and Leah. Uh, Leah knew that Rachel was the favored wife. And uh, that ate away at her. It hurt not being loved. 
perhaps some of you know that hurt. It was a deep hurt. Uh, but Leah could win the battle, the rivalry with Rachel in one way, and that was she could have children, and it turns out Rachel was not having children. And so uh, Rachel may have been the first wife, but she was the first mother. And can you imagine the fire that put into Rachel's heart? So here's these two sisters in competition for the same man and at the same time hating each other because of this. So this competition got so, so vicious that it wasn't enough that uh, Rachel and Leah were having children. Well, Rachel hadn't had children yet. She does later on. Uh, you have to read the story to get at that. But um, they started saying, okay, I need more sons associated with me. So they gave him uh, their servants to sleep with and have children by. Um, it gets pretty messy. When you start taking life into your own hands, it gets messy. It got messy. And you know what's amazing? God redeemed all of this because 12 sons were eventually born. And do you know who those 12 sons became? They became the 12 tribes of Israel. Amazing, isn't it? This is, is the story the this is what happened. And this is how God used even the worst of humans to, to bless us in the end because he is a great and he's an awesome God. So, uh, so I said in these chapters there were three stories. So the first story was a story of marrying two wives. The second story was the rivalry. And the third story of these uh, uh, chapters was how Jacob uh, gained his wealth eventually. So he had worked for 14 years for Laban, his father-in-law. And uh, after 14 years of service, his debt was paid, but he didn't own anything. And so he went to his uh, father-in-law, Laban, his uncle, Laban, uh, with the following proposition. Uh, I'll just read. Because of my faithful service and careful shepherding of your flocks, I kind of put this in my language, uh, you are now a very wealthy man. Here's what I want uh, in return from you. Allow me to have for myself all the spotted, striped, and mottled sheep and goats, you retain all, retain all the black goats and all the white sheep for yourself. And I will do my best to make do with what I can find. And furthermore, I will take care of your flock in the meantime, uh, Jacob said. Just grant me some means by which I can establish some financial independence. So Laban agrees to these terms. And as he was agreeing to these terms, Laban has, had his sons go hide all those spotted and, and mottled sheep and goats. Thinking, okay, they'll all be hidden from him and so there's gonna be none produced. 
And, and so Jacob, uh, he conducted his own genetic experiment. So when it became mating time for the sheep and the goats, uh, Jacob would gather the strongest rams and then he would take uh, branches and cut out strips of bark and put it by the, the place that they would mate near the water, thinking that that would cause the sheep and the goats to get stripes. And do you know what? It worked. And do you know what? Know what? If you'd go try that experiment, that genetic experiment, do you think it would work? Absolutely not. It didn't work because of his deception or his trickery. It worked because God had made a promise. I will supply for all of your needs. Well, uh, God's grace is a great thing. So, I look back over this story and over Jacob's actions and over God's promises. And, and I think he had a real battle going on regarding spiritual self-dependence. He wanted to be blessed. He wanted all the blessings of God but he thought it'd have to happen on his own terms. Um, how many of you here want all the blessings of God? I do. How often do you try to manipulate the terms by which that would happen? Yeah. I can learn from this story. Uh, three things I can learn. Uh, let's put that up on the screen. Uh, I can learn that I can't try and trust at the same time. I, I learn that if I respond and lean into my fear, I can't respond and lean in faith. And I learn that there's a choice between deception and dependence. I can't do both at the same time. The, these are opiate, opposites that we find from Jacob's story. Him trying instead of trusting. Him acting in fear instead of faith. Him uh, living in deception and manipulation instead of placing his full dependence upon God. Well, in Genesis 31, uh, we find a bit of a breakthrough. In Genesis 31, uh, go ahead back to that uh, verse, please. Uh, God shows up and he says this. He says, then God said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and of your relatives, and I will be with you. I think that for 20 years, uh, Jacob had been trying, living in fear and in deception. And then God shows up and he recounts his life. God uh, 
I've been trying more than trusting. God, I've been living in fear more than faith. God, I've been deeply involved in deception instead of dependence. Because ever since the moment of his birth, and this is a bit of the story you get to read about too, when Jacob and Esau were born, they were twins. And Esau was born first, and Jacob was holding on to his brother's foot as he was being born. He was grasping when he came out of the womb, and he continued to grasp. He wanted respect. He wanted to be able to hold his head up high. He wanted his father to give him a blessing. And he fought, and he connived, and he was in a duel deceivers with his uncle Laban, which he won. Uh, he had wives at conflict. He had children, and he'd become wealthy. And I wonder if it finally dawned on him that he didn't have all that he had, which was all that he wanted because of deception and trickery, but because of God's promise. God promised it to him in the beginning. 20 years later, God promised it to him again. This is the reason. God told him he loved him and he would protect him. And he kept his promise. And God's, God gave him approval. And, and God gave him a provision. I wonder if Jacob, because Jacob's story continues past what we're going to talk about today. And it wasn't always good, a good story. But I don't think it was as bad. He still had a lesson to learn. I wonder if he ever said, boy, if I just would have believed God, I could have saved myself from 20 years of trouble. Yeah, I, I think that's, what would life have been like if? Have you ever asked that question? I wonder what my life would have been like if. Um, that's a thought we can have, but it's a thought that can get us stuck. And I don't think God wants us to be stuck. He wants us to open our eyes and to lean into his grace and allow him to restore and redeem our lives. And he wants to do that. For various reasons, we can struggle to believe that God truly does love and care for us. And some of those reasons can be the circumstances of life, some of them very difficult. Uh, we believe that God is with us, and he tells us in his word that he will never leave us. And we are told that his power is sufficient for us. But then, in that belief, we can then think, but I have to earn it. But I have to do something to get it. God has an if at the end of the sentence. But God doesn't have an if at the end of the sentence. 
we, we become tempted to try to orchestrate and control God's love for us, our self-worth, our success. When, when God is saying, trust in me. Trust in me. Um, God showed up to Jacob in a vision, in a dream. God showed up for us in Jesus Christ. In the Holy Spirit, that when we place our faith in Christ, that comes and lives in the very depths of us. And God has given us promises. And I could tell you so many promises that he's given. I'm just going to do a couple. The, the first is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, listen to this, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Man. What does that do to you down deep in your soul? It should, it should cause you to almost explode with excitement. God has given you every spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. Uh, it takes the heavens to hold these blessings because earth can't hold these blessings. That's some of the promises that God invites us to trust in, to believe in, to trust instead of try, to have faith instead of fear, to uh, depend upon him instead of try to our, make our own way in life through deception. Here's another one in Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. Know, and this talks about the, the, the context here in Romans 8, is that we are more than overcomers. It says, know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love that. Through him who loved us, through Jesus Christ, through God, through the Holy Spirit, who loves us. I want you to say this out loud. God loves me. Why don't you close your eyes and you can give yourself a little bit of a hug. This is a God hug. God loves me. Say that again. God loves me. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Next verse. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? In 1 Peter 2, we don't have it up here, but it says he gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. That's as big a promise. That's a bigger promise 
than, than the promise that Jacob was living in. So we can cease striving. We can start trusting. We can be grateful for God's loving care. And we can begin to trust him by believing what he tells us from Scripture. So in closing, here are some lessons we can learn from Jacob's life. Number one, stop trying and start trusting. Easier said than done. But it tells us in the first, second Peter chapter 1 that God gives us divine power to share in his divine nature. So this is something that God helps us to do. The second lesson, turn away from fear and instead walk in faith. Turn away from fear and instead walk in faith. Number three, don't try to manipulate circumstances through deception, but instead be actively dependent upon the love and promises of God. And four, don't try to use God. And don't try to use people. God is not to be used, and people are not to be used. Instead, love God. Serve God. Love people. Serve people. That's the life that God calls us to. So my, God, and my call to you and my encouragement to me is to rise, to leave behind your spiritual self-dependence and begin a journey home to a place of trusting in Jesus for everything. Let's pray. So we're all unique uh, beings and individuals that God knows and God loves. And we all have our own stories before God. And so God, I'm asking you to just help us now to understand uh, the way that you are intimately involved in our story and the places that you're calling us toward. And would you even show us, God, those places where we are allowing uh, our own trying, uh, where that's overwhelming our trusting? Uh, 